Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Welcome to another worthy podcast, Play It Forward. Um, I'm here with the amazing Justin Coulson. Um, We're in some very unique times right now and to have Justin come on um, is just going to be so, so, so beneficial to our listeners and families. And initially, we were going to talk about children's development specifically, but I think in these times, we need to make sure we've got well parents so we have well children. Um, Justin is a father of six girls, um, a husband, an author, a speaker. You'd know him from TV appearances, but amazing books that have been really beneficial to me personally. Um, Nine Ways to a Resilient Child, and my big recommendation is What Your Child Needs for You. And you've just previously, before all this COVID-19 kicked off, um, I was following closely the launch of Misconnection as well, which was getting some amazing feedback. So congratulations on that success of the book. Congratulations on your mission coming to life. Um, And thank you so much for making such a positive influence in the children's world. It's a really generous introduction. I'm I'm grateful, Lucas. Thanks for having me on. And I I hope that we can share some useful ideas that can really make a big impact uh, for families and for people who are working in industry with children at the moment. Uh, because as you said, it's it's quite a um, an unprecedented time for us, really, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. And um, you've got a quite an extensive background in positive psychology to marry in with your family and child support as well. So it's a bit of a different format today. I think it's really important to really give the parents out there the tools to support their children. Um, we'll talk about how best to support their children and what your children need. And then also our amazing educators out there. Um, so let's get straight into it because as you shared, we've been while well, we're off air, we've got about three hours of content. We're going to condense it down in about 45 minutes. Um, we were discussing previously that um, we're seeing a huge priority in with children staying at home now um, with parents thinking they need to be these the teacher. And my view is that children don't need another teacher right now they need their parents and they need love at the base of it so what from your standpoint um, is what what can a parent provide for their child which is a priority from your view get them because the argument is oh they need the routine that's what i'm hearing they need the routine but i'm not of that opinion what's your view on that well, I really like the way you phrased that. Uh, our kids don't need another teacher. They do need us to be parents. Uh, and if we've got the opportunity to spend more time at home with them, I'm not quite sure that trying to become a school teacher to them and homeschool them is going to be in anybody's best interest. I don't think that'll serve the children well. I don't think that'll serve us well. I don't think it'll serve the family well. And realistically, unless your children are in their more senior years of school, 
missing out on a little bit of school isn't going to have any dramatic impact on their educational attainment over time. Uh, what I would say is this. Routine is important. Uh, you know, we, we, we as humans function best when we have a routine, when we have a process that we go through. So I'd suggest that the kids do get up on time and that they do actually get out of their pyjamas and that they do have breakfast. And rather than having a, a fixed routine, especially for younger children, what I'd be suggesting is make sure that they're doing a handful of things that are important that they do regularly. So in our family, and I can only speak for mine, I, I, I can't tell you what to do in yours, but in our family, our kids know that there's an expectation that they'll spend at least an hour in outdoor physical activity. They'll spend about an hour working on a project with mum or dad. Um, and that might be weeding the garden or it might be mowing the lawn or it might be uh, my 12-year-old is working on a podcast. Um, so, you know, she gets to spend some time with dad learning how to create a podcast. Uh, maybe it will be coming up with some sort of craft or some sort of activity and running it as a, as a family show or a family activity later in the day. Um, for kids who are practicing music, they should make sure that that's part of their day. My kids know that there's an expectation that they'll spend about an hour a day in some kind of learning activity. But I'm not really policing it. I'm just saying, you know, go, and, go and do that learning thing. Go and do some schoolwork that the teachers have sent home, so long as it's not boring, busy work on silly worksheets that isn't going to be helpful. Um, they wanted to spend some, some time doing some reading, uh, cleaning up around the house, doing their chores. The, the routine that we've got is fairly flexible, and I recommend a flexible routine. But there should be a handful of non-negotiables, and each family will determine what those are for themselves. This is called being a parent, certainly not being a school teacher, but it's called being a parent. The one thing that I would say is this, regardless of the age of your child, reading should be a part of their um, their daily routine. Reading is just so important. I can't even begin to understate how important uh, reading is. Younger children should be read to. Older children might be read with and Older children, again, should be reading alone. But but really, I, I mean, I still read to my 10-year-old, my 12-year-old. My 15-year-old's a bit over it now, and the 17-year-old's not so interested. But, but we still make sure that we're reading to our three youngest kids under the age of 12, 13, uh, consistently. And we make sure that they're doing their own reading. This is what's linked to academic outcomes. This is what's linked to finding how to enjoy a love of learning. And I think that's something that I'd really encourage heavily. Yeah, and that feeds into and really reflects the importance for that well parent because I think our operating program as parents, we're out at work, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing. And to take that leap over and all of a sudden have to be being with your child, like in an instant, is super, super challenging. And what I'm seeing from a lot of parents I know all of a sudden having their children home, they're like, I'm not used to just playing. So I love how you're like doing those tasks, but you're doing it together. So you're still doing the task. It's making the parent feel good, but the child's coming along and enjoying that social interaction as well. So that could be a great bridge for a lot of parents because I know play can be a bit scary. 
Uh, and play can be tedious. Let's face it. I mean, <laughs> we, we love our kids, but frankly, sometimes playing with the kids is a pain. But let me share a metaphor with you, a, a, an analogy that I think might be helpful. The rocket, um, a, a space shuttle to get into space, it has to go from zero to 28,000 kilometers an hour to enter the orbit. It takes about 10 minutes to get there. In that first 10 minutes, it goes through so much fuel. It goes through so much energy that it's almost incalculable. It is just phenomenal. But once it reaches orbit at 28,000 k's an hour after 10 minutes, nine times faster than a speeding bullet, um, that spaceship drops its tanks back down to Earth and it circles in orbit for an extended period of time with almost no energy output at all. It, it's in orbit and it's sailing around the world. It's, it, it's extraordinary. And I think that's the same when it comes to time with our kids. To get into the flow of play with our kids is, frankly, excruciating sometimes, especially when there are so many other things that we need to be doing. Now, let me be really clear as well that some of us believe we need to be doing things that we don't. For example, uh, checking the news headlines to see what the latest developments are in COVID-19. We don't need to do that. We just think we need to because it's so compelling and it's so, I mean, it's just compulsive. But if we can put the phone away, if we can let go of the agenda and be the space shuttle for 10 minutes, what ends up happening is that we get so caught up in the flow of the activity and the enjoyment and the smiles and the laughter, the rest of the world sort of disappears. And spending time playing with our children becomes a pure joy. It becomes absolutely, absolute delight. So that would be the, the first main thing that I would say. I think the other thing is that while I've outlined a flexible loose kind of schedule where we need to make sure that we're doing these things each day. Um, the the mental health and well-being of us as adults also requires us to be actively engaged in our lives. Uh, I know that a lot of people are worried about losing jobs. Some people have already lost jobs and there's yeah. probably plenty more to go. Uh, it's really tempting. A, a, a mate of mine uh, was telling me just, just uh, recently that his best friend runs a sort of a conference staging lighting sound kind of business. And he's just said his, his livelihood's vanished overnight. Literally, conferences have closed down. Nobody's getting together. That's, that's the end. And he doesn't have the savings to get through more than a couple of months. So if this lasts longer than a couple of months, he's not only out of business, but he's lost his livelihood and he doesn't have anything else to fall back on. Once that happened, this friend said uh, that his, his best mate, uh, literally didn't get out of bed. He's, he's ringing at 10 o'clock in the morning and he's still in bed with the covers over his head. Uh, you, you can't be... It's normal to feel like that. It's normal to want to have a big cry. It's normal to want to hide in the corner and pretend that the world has gone away. But it's so critical that we actually maintain a sense of normal routine no matter what yep. chaos and craziness befalls us. We need it for our own well-being. And we need it for our children's. So I would be saying even to the adults, make sure that you're getting an hour of physical activity. Make sure that you're spending some time outside. Make sure that you're connecting regularly, frequent touch points, not necessarily physical touch points. I know I need to be careful with that <laughs> word. But, but we've got to be connecting with multiple people daily. Research tells us that while ideally we're going to connect with people in person, whether we do it over the phone or whether we do it over the back fence, or whether we do it uh, using Skype or FaceTime or any of the other in incredible apps that now exist to allow us to, it's the connection that counts. It doesn't have to be in person. And the more frequent touch points we can have of connection for ourselves and for our children, the more our well-being will be up. So, so I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. No matter how bad life feels for us, 
we will be okay if we concentrate on what we can do rather than what we can't do. And we do that best by connecting with other people, by being up and about and being active, by taking notice of what's going on around us and 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 slowing down and you know enjoying that that flow and engagement that happens when we lose ourselves in something even if our world is falling down there's something infectious about laughing with our child while we wrestle with them on the bed and and all of that other chaos it can just wait because right now we've got wrestles and laughter um maybe we're cooking a lasagna tonight and it's a perfect chance to bring our child into the kitchen and say you know what you've never actually cooked a real meal in your life let's do this together yeah. And we get caught up in the flow. We we have to be patient. We have to lower our expectations. But we must focus on doing something that connects us with others, builds us as people, and, and, and we need to focus on the things that we can actually choose. That's that's really where the resilience and, and well-being comes from for us and for our kids. I think we have a great opportunity for and in these times right now to learn how to be a great parent again and to, to really step in and lean into um, what it means to be a leader for your child, what it means to have an experience with your child. And I think that's going to contribute to the overall well-being of both parties, like you just mentioned. And um, I know to flash back to some early content from many years ago from you um, that I really loved was that um, optimizing um, optimism and um, when it comes to, I know it's hard times to think of in an optimistic way, but I know there's some amazing tools you have that step-by-step process in acknowledging and trying to work out what you're optimistic about and the opportunities you have in front of you. So maybe you could share those steps that people can start implementing into their um, routine with their children. So I have I have a loose recollection of writing that article. I can't really exactly remember what I put in there, but a few things spring to mind just now that might be helpful. In our home, we have a practice, an almost daily practice of memorizing quotes, poems, uh, inspirational ideas. And uh, one of them springs to mind just hearing you talk about this idea of optimizing optimism, and it kind of ties in with the, the idea of resilience. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could teach our children what Ralph Parlett said? He said this, and I quote, The supreme reward of struggle is strength. Life is a battle and the greatest joy is to overcome. He said it is following the path of least resistance that makes rivers and men crooked. I think this is a a profoundly impactful statement when it comes to optimism, because essentially what we're saying is when things are hard, that's actually what makes us strong. When we a lot of people will complain, and understandably, a lot of people will say, well, it's too hard, and I can't, and, um, well, it's easy for you to say be optimistic, but you haven't just lost your job, or you haven't yeah. just had this this difficulty or this tragedy befall you. I, I, I get that. Uh, it's, it's a really hard time for so many people right now. And yet, when we spin that around, and we, we recognize that um, the, the supreme reward of struggle is strength, what happens then is we see the struggle as an opportunity. And all of a sudden, we we feel good about what that struggle is and what it's leading us to. Uh, this is probably the first thing that I would say. We've got to adopt this approach where hard times actually make us strong. Uh, that, that may be one of the most helpful things that we can say. Now, in terms of the other aspects of optimizing optimism, 
probably a couple of other things that are that are worth mentioning. And 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 I I, I vaguely recall uh, this this was from a podcast that I delivered um, quite some time ago. I think. Uh, one of the things that we can do is just emphasize to our kids when they say, I can't do it, we say, well, you, you can't do it yet. You know, the power of yet is extraordinary. It must be the most optimistic word in the English language. And we might say that ourselves. Uh, let, let me let me again pick the worst case scenario. Um, I don't have a job. Well, actually, worst case scenario will be that somebody close to you ends up with COVID-19. But let's let's go just one step back from there. Yeah. Uh, if, if we're going to have optimism, I don't have a job. Well, I don't have a job yet. or I don't have a job at the moment, but I will have one again soon. Secondly, I talk about this a lot, and it comes from a guy called Stephen Covey who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Covey talks about uh, two circles in our lives. There's a circle of concern and a circle of influence. Circle of concern is all the stuff we're worried about. It's all the stuff that's making the headlines on news.com.au. It's mm-hmm. all the stuff that we're hearing on Facebook, all the stuff that's filling our social media feeds. Thing is, all of that stuff, we really can't do anything at all about. We can't do anything about the Prime Minister's policy on letting people off cruise ships. We can't do anything about uh, what the stimulus package is going to yep. be. We can't do anything about whether the boss is going to sack us or not. We can't do anything about any of those things. But what we can do is we can focus on our circle of influence. That is, there's a handful of things that we can literally say, I'm able to choose this. I'm able to do that. When we focus on our circle of influence, two things happen. First of all, we become empowered, which builds our resilience and our optimism. But secondly, our circle of influence grows. While ever I'm out there complaining on Facebook about how stupid the premier is or how ridiculous um, China is or President Trump is or whatever, you know, these are the things that I'm seeing on Facebook day in and day out. While ever I'm concentrating on that, I'm not thinking about what I can do personally. But as soon as I let go of my circle of concern and just focus on my circle of influence and I start saying, hey, I've noticed that uh, some people in our community are really having a hard time. Let's get together and help them. Let's drop some notes into the letterboxes of the elderly and let them know that we're here to serve and we can be generous to them. If they've run out of toilet paper and they are too scared to go to the shops, maybe we can take orders from them. Here's here's our phone number. Here's uh, our address. Let us know what you need and we'll help you. And all of a sudden, as we focus on our circle of influence, our influence actually grows. Our circle of influence expands and we become more capable, more competent, more service-oriented, we're able to make a bigger impact in the world. Now, to me, that is extraordinarily optimistic. Uh, I I think um, a third tip would be that we should focus on the end rather than the now. Uh, you, you know, I, I, my, one of my favorite stories, Lucas, is this. It's, it's a, a, a true story about an elderly lady who uh, was literally on her deathbed. Um, the family were called into the palliative care unit in the hospital. And as she slipped in and out of consciousness, they tried to have their final goodbyes and have important conversations and share their love with her. At one point, as she was talking with her son, and she was quite aware he said, Mum, while you're feeling like you can talk, I, I want you to know that we're going to miss you so much, but obviously your time is nearly here. We would like to know what your wishes are for your funeral. And she shared a couple of things. Just bury me in my dressing gown. I've been in it for the last three years anyway. Um, put me in a pine box. Don't spend lots of money on an expensive coffin. I don't need it. Once I'm in the ground, it doesn't make any difference. But she said, when you bury me, please bury me with a uh, with a spoon in my hand. 
And he, he said, oh, are you okay? I think you might be losing. And she said, no, I'm perfectly well right now and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just fine. And, and he said, well, why, why would you want me to bury you with a spoon in your hand? And um, she said, well, when I was a child growing up in the Great Depression, my dad lost his job. And to make ends meet, he would go out into the woods and he would catch rabbits for dinner. Uh, he would pick wildflowers and go into the city and try to sell them to the businessmen who still did have jobs so that he could earn some money. And that, we were literally living from day to day and from week to week. And it was terrible. We were, we were absolutely destitute. But every now and again, if he had a good day, after we'd had our dinner, as we were taking our place to the sink, he would say, hold on to your spoons, kids. The best is yet to come. And she said, we'd get so excited because that meant dessert. We were going to be able to have the most tasty treats. And, you know, dessert was such a, an exciting treat for us in our home. She said, um, when you bury me, I want you to bury me with a spoon in my hand because the best is yet to come. That's powerful. And um, to extend on that, I've also heard you refer to like how to frame that with your child within the interaction. And it's something I've applied and seen a huge impact with my daughter. And just a simple question of what are you looking forward to about today? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, how, how simple is that? So well, simple. Well, and, and again, this is focusing on our circle of influence, yeah. not our yeah. circle of concern. What are you looking forward to means that we're talking about the things that we can um, – that we can actually control something here and control is so critical. Probably a couple of other things that I would suggest about building optimism. Uh, and by the way, you can, you can hear all about this on my, on, on, on my podcast. If, if you don't mind me mentioning, I've got a podcast too. Um, it's called Dr. Justin Corson's happy families podcast. Um, but, but two other things that I recommend are number one, learning about mindsets and our capacity for change. If we want to be optimistic, we have to recognize that, when we practice stuff, we can get better at it. When we do things uh, that we couldn't do before and we work on them, our our ability to well, – we, we have an innate ability to master what is around us. We have an innate desire to do that. Yeah. And so I would be recommending that when our children say, I can't, we say, well, you can't do it yet. And, well, what can you do? Uh, I, I love the poem. There's a poem called Ode to Can. It was part of a, a – one of the big banks did a big advertising campaign a few years ago and can was the, the key word and they, they developed a poem that went with it. It goes like this. There's a four-letter word as offensive as any. It holds back the few, puts a stop to the many. You can't climb that mountain. You can't cross that sea. You can't become anything you want to be. He can't hit a century. They can't find a cure. She can't think about leaving or searching for more. Because can't is a word with a habit of stopping the ebb and the flow of ideas. It keeps dropping itself where we know in our hearts it's not needed and saying, don't go, and we could have succeeded. But those four little letters that end with a T can be changed in an instant when shortened to three. We can take off the T. We can do it today. We can move forward, not back. We can find our own way. We can build. We can run. We can follow the sun. We can push. We can pull. We can say, I'm someone who refuses to believe that life can't be better with the removal of one insignificant letter. How awesome is that? So good. So now, good. now I, I, I heard that one day and I was like, oh, that's so good. And because I was, you know, I mentioned to you before, we do all this memorizing in our place. I sat down with the kids. I said, what do you think about this poem, kids? And I read it to them. They said, that's awesome, Dad. I said, we're going to memorize it. My five-year-old says, I can't. <laughs> but within about three or four weeks, she had the whole thing memorized. Now, she is 10. Yeah. And she still has that thing memorized. And what a, what a powerful... Uh, what a powerful way to build resilience to let kids yeah. know, hey, you can. You just got to take off the tee. You can do it today. Move forward, not back. 
find your own way. Uh, really, really powerful ideas. So th there's there's a handful of ways that we can optimize optimism, that we can, even in dark and troubled times, recognize that there's always something that we can do. There's always people who are helping. There's always ways that we can make a contribution. Uh, and while we're able to do that, we have purpose and meaning. We have connection. We have uh, we have hope. And that, is, as parents, is what we've got to be giving our kids more than anything right now, hope. Yeah. And for them to have hope, they've got to see that we are hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. And just that task of going and I used to ask my daughter a lot, like, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? And in these times, that could be a really, really hard question to answer. And just that simple reframing it for our own internal dialogue. Um, what are we looking forward to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gratitude and hope probably are two of the best things to inoculate us against depression and anxiety. Yeah. They're probably two of the most important things that we can rely on. Uh, and and asking those kinds of questions, you know what, the kids usually love answering those questions. If it gets a bit repetitive or if it's a bit hard to answer, uh, we talk about uh, what were the bright spots today? Yeah. Or we talk about who did you help today? Yeah. Or what did you learn today? What we're always focusing on is, uh, you know, what are the principles that we want our kids to be adopting and how can we ask them questions about their lives so that they can have those experiences regularly and recognize them? Yeah. And not, not um, and just to flash back, I don't know, it's somewhere in your content I found it and I loved it. Uh, and it's the framing around, I don't need to know my whole future. Can I, I just need to know for me personally what's next here like what's in front of me and it's not necessarily a job not necessarily this but framing that up into your routine and saying well i know what's next i'm going to spend time with my kids in the garden today i'm going to do this i'm going to do this i'm going to do this and these little steps so does that play into that feeds of optimism you would say like knowing what's next yeah, I think so. And it also keeps us focused on our circle of influence rather than our circle of concern, Yes, which keeps our anxiety down. You know, circle of concern, it just it's it boosts our anxiety way up. Well, if we're thinking about things that are out of our control, but we're worried about them, yep. our anxiety goes sky high. But while we're thinking about what's next and what we're doing, we're operating in our circle of concern. We have a high level of control. We have a high level of empowerment. We have a high level of usually connection with others. Uh, we've got meaning and purpose and direction and, and, and it just makes such a difference. Yeah, and I think for, for me personally, a, a learning from this just yesterday was I had kind of some time where I surrendered to the external. Like I was fell into that pit of, oh, well, I've got to find out what's happening. And then it just fed and my my overall wellness just plummeted. It does. Because I just, I just, even just like, checking some updates and things like that. And I just felt myself by the time within a couple of hours, I was like, how did I end up here after starting the day so high? Yeah. And then I was like, okay, what do you got to do? You got to break the cycle. So then at, by the time I got children to bed and had that family time, everyone was in bed. I was like, okay, break the cycle. Let's run. <laughs> I, can manage, I can manage that. And then today and also listening to – I was listening to your podcast as I was running last night as well. So it was just like so much content there and then woke up this morning saying, well, I don't need to check my phone. I don't need that. What I can do is we're going to make an amazing podcast and we're going to offer some awesome content for families to feel really invigorated by. And that's yeah. just that simple. And you've just articulated what I was struggling through perfectly. So thank you. That's yeah, amazing. that's great. That's great. 
Um, let's move on to the child um, and the child at these times. And um, it was fantastic the other night to see you sit down with three of your girls on a live and say, ask me questions. Um, because I think that's a, a that's a point now where it's quite an unknown territory for a lot of parents to be able to put themselves in that vulnerable situation because you know, the physiological reaction to vulnerability at such a vulnerable time could be a bit of an overload, but you really stepped into that. So thank you for um, modeling that behavior. It meant it was accessible to me as well. Um, so what, what, what can we do to support our children emotionally and be able to hear their voice at this time? You just said it yourself. We need to hear them. In fact, there are four H's that I've been sharing on podcasts and on radio and in press all around the country and internationally as well. Four things starting with H that our kids really need right now. The first is they need to be heard. Uh, so that Facebook Live video that you're referring yep. to, um, for people who want to see it, uh, just go to my Facebook page, Dr. Justin Coulson's Happy Families on Facebook, and uh, go through the videos. And you'll see me sitting with three of my kids, my three youngest. And I just sort of said to them, hey, guys, I want you to write down some questions, any questions at all. I don't want to see them ahead of time. I just want to answer your questions because I know, you know, every two minutes I'm turning around, you're asking me another one. They asked some tough questions. My 10-year-old said, Dad, what happens if you don't have any work? And, you know, and, and to have to respond to your child about the job situation that you currently find, find yourself in, uh, that, that can be pretty challenging. My, my six-year-old said, Dad, are any of my friends going to die? I mean, why is a six-year-old worrying about this? But mm. this is what she's been hearing in the playground. Uh, and so to have the opportunity to hear them, and I didn't necessarily have good answers for them, but that was less important than the fact that they felt heard and understood. And I was able to tap into their emotions and say, that's something that you're really nervous about, isn't it? That's something that really worries you. I said to Emily, my six-year-old, I, I really hope that none of your friends die because this disease, it sounds like it's really horrible. We need to really hope and pray that they're okay, don't we? I don't have a good answer for her, but what I can do is I can reassure her that I get where she's coming from. I understand her feelings. And that seems to be all that our children need. They don't need us to give them the answers. Second H is our kids need humor. They need to know that it's okay to laugh about stuff. And that's why we're making a point of cooking with them and wrestling with them and jumping on the trampoline with them. We're fortunate that we have a pool. So we've been swimming in the pool with them uh, of an afternoon. Um, we're finding opportunities to step outside and, and have less conversations, not more conversations about the coronavirus, and instead have more conversations about what we're doing in our lives and what opportunities we've got in front of us and who we can help and those kinds of things, which brings me to my third thing. After hearing them and, and finding an opportunity for humor, we've got to find ways to help and get them helping, get them focused on other people. While if you're focused on other people, you don't have time to be miserable about, miserable about your own life because you're focusing on other people. Mm. Uh, the final thing then is hope. And we've talked about that a lot already. But as we do these things, we actually build hope in our kids and it's that hopefulness that we're building that really, I think, um, gives them a belief that the future is going to be okay and that they're going to be able to do things for, for themselves to make their lives better. Yeah. And yeah. Um, what I'm observing between a lot of families we interact with, um, there's two sides of the fence to sit at, and I love your feedback on if there is a pro or if not, I think I know where you're going to go. But um, one side of the fence says it's all about protection 
the kids don't need to know anything, turn off the TV, media blackout, their kids, they don't need it. And the other side of the family is like, well, their kids, they're resilient, they can deal with anything, like they get over it so quickly. So based on those two approaches, what would you, your recommendation be? If Look, any- so I think we've got to find a, 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 a anything that's polarised uh, tends to be too extreme and, and, and not quite right. Uh, our children uh, should not be completely protected unless they're very young uh, because they know that things are different. But we can have honest, gentle, reassuring conversations about what's going on. And that's what they need. They need us to be the leader in the home. They need us to let them know that even though things are a bit tricky right now, things are going to be okay. Uh, And we do that by communicating openly with them. Uh, But we also model it wisely by turning off the TV and not getting caught up in all of the detail. It's enough to know that uh, the government made a decision today and uh, things are going to change in this way. That's that's all we need to know. Uh, We don't really need to go any further than that and it starts to freak the kids out so we say okay so as a result of that what are we going to do in our family and then we sit and counsel together in our families now obviously the younger your family is the more you just take the lead but you know have a chat with them let them know what's going on uh in terms of the whole kids are resilient they'll bounce back well two things first of all bounce back is a lousy metaphor for what resilience actually is we we hear it all over the place but it's not what resilience is um if i build a bridge that's resilient it doesn't bounce back every time a car goes over it. It actually stands strong, regardless of the weather, regardless of the load, regardless of the waves that are battering it and the currents that are sweeping past it, regardless of the lightning that strikes it. A resilient bridge or a resilient building stands strong and it adapts to whatever comes its way, whatever nature throws at it, whatever mankind loads it up with. Resilience means that we are adapting We achieve positive developmental outcomes and avoid maladaptive outcomes in spite of the challenges we experience. So what that really means for our kids is uh, we need to make sure that they're developmentally capable of dealing with the weight that we're putting on their shoulders. You don't ask a five-year-old to carry the same load that you ask a 15-year-old to carry physically or psychologically, uh, which means that we want to, yeah, we do want to protect our young kids and we even want to protect our older kids but we give them developmentally appropriate access to the things that will load them up so that they can remain resilient. If you put too much load on that bridge, it will collapse. So we want to make sure that we get that right. But no, nobody ever bounces back. We're we're not going to just, no matter how resilient we are, we're not just going to bounce back from COVID-19 and what it's doing to our world, what it's doing to our personal lives, what it's doing to our economy. You don't just bounce back. You know, some people say it's like the bungee cord. Yeah. If you've ever been bungee jumping and if you bounce back to that platform, there's there, there's a problem, right? That's, that's not what's supposed to happen. No. Um, resilience is not about bouncing back. Any challenge, any trial, any setback, any adversity, any difficulty that life has thrown your way, I'm certain that you didn't bounce back. I, I would suggest that you grew through it yep. and it changed you. Ideally, if you're resilient, it changed you into a better character. It changed you into a better person. It developed attributes and virtues and characteristics that you didn't have before that adversity. That's what we call resilience. If you go back to being exactly the same way that you were before, then you haven't learned anything from it. You haven't grown from it and you're not resilient. 
you're, yeah. you're, you're adapting. It's, it's a maladaptive outcome. And, and chances are, if you haven't grown from it, then you're probably going to be depressed or anxious or scared or whatever it might be because of the lack of growth that comes from it. We're supposed to grow through this stuff. Yeah. And that feeds so nicely into one of my favorite phrases I've heard you use. It's the um, post-traumatic growth is is reflecting of that and it's one of the part of that amazing book the nine ways to a resilient child um it's in there i'm pretty sure <laughs> one it of, is one it of is. The, yeah yeah that one i was like i get mixed up i was like oh was that in the what your children needs from you i don't know um but that post-traumatic growth and it's not about just you know it, it there there is a stress but we are adaptive to our environments as well and but we do need to change an absolute necessity yeah, people can have post-traumatic stress, they can have post-traumatic growth. Uh, the research literature in this area is fascinating, and it seems that uh, we we actually do get to choose whether yeah. we will grow through something or not. I read an extraordinary story about an American helicopter pilot by the name of Rhonda, Rhonda Cornham. Uh, she was shot down. Um, I, I can't remember now if it was in Afghanistan or if it was in the Second Gulf War, so please forgive me for being a little bit sketchy on the detail. Uh, but in in shooting down her her down, they um, she she experienced uh, broken bones and was badly injured. She was assaulted in the worst, most violating ways by her captors, uh, and yet she talks about that experience and says, and I and I don't share this in a way to minimise the experiences of others, but rather just to say what she said. She said, I realised as they were doing these horrible things to me that if that was the worst that they could do to me, that I was going to be okay. Wow. Now I don't know. I don't know where that comes from inside a person that they yeah. can dissociate themselves so powerfully from horrific abuse and trauma. But this woman has gone on to become one of the most extraordinary stories of resilience that I've ever heard yeah. as she was able to be freed from captivity and she was able to go on and continue just an exemplary life of service in the military. Uh, and the way she overcame those extraordinary adversities, those those traumatic experiences, she did not experience post-traumatic stress. Instead, she experienced post-traumatic growth. She looked at the experience and said, I'm not going to be a victim here. What can I learn from this? How can I be a better human as a result of what I've experienced? She took that and said, I, I, I can I can be a better person. Now, to me, if we can look at the whole COVID-19 thing yeah. and compare that to what she went through, I think most of us are going to get off pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, and so what, what can we learn from that? Again, not to minimize the reality that people are going through hard times, but what can we learn? What can we do? How can we work within our circle of influence yeah. to be resilient? And um, we'll take that snippet out and we'll actually put that book in the show notes because during these times there is a huge opportunity to get these books read and get to the amazing content that's out there that we're, usually is not available because we don't have the time. So well, we that'd might... be awesome. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and, and let, me, let, me, let me just mention, it's, it's even an audio book. Uh, yeah. You can get an audio book, e-book or in hard copy. So that might be helpful for some people as well. Fantastic. And another one I'll chuck in there, a recommendation of yours is to change your brain, um, how to mould your brain or changing your brain. Anyway. Oh, the, the brain the, the brain, brain that changes, changes itself. itself. That's it. Yes. yes. So there's another one for you. Um, moving on. Um, now, it's a really challenging times. 
absolutely for parents, absolutely for children, but we've also got those educators and teachers out there. Um, they've been there's. I'm trying to get like a really good understanding of how teachers are feeling, and it's just so diverse. Some are telling me that oh, well, this is what we're meant to do and we're here to support the children, so whatever has to happen, happens. Um, and other, ch- um, other teachers feel really underappreciated as well. And then there's a bunch of confusion around there when I'm asking educators um, how they're going. It's like it's really hard because they're not sure on how to um, answer the questions that they're getting from the children because they feel that, oh, well, this is a decision the parents got to make, so they're kind of in this limbo professionally and a limbo within their relationships and what they can disclose. So do you have any tips towards our, for our teachers listening about how to support the children and, and get those questions answered? Well, or- first of all, what I would say, yeah, what I'd say, Lucas, is when this is all over, I think the teachers and our frontline health service staff, uh, the, the doctors, the, the people who are sacrificing so much right now, yeah. Uh, we, we should be having a big ticket tape parade through all the major cities and those people should be walking down and being applauded by the rest of civilization because they are simply extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, I cannot conceive of what it must be like for them to have to self-isolate themselves so that they can continue to go to work every day and yeah. help people who are in trouble. I, I just I don't have words for it. Yeah. I get emotional even thinking about it. Uh, in terms of what teachers can do when kids come to them with questions i think that they should be sensitive and gentle and focus less on answering the question and more on responding to the emotion of the student so when the student says i'm scared about this the teacher might just reflect what they're hearing they might say when we hear about this sort of stuff it makes us really worried doesn't it yeah or it makes us nervous or scared doesn't it what teachers need to be is that calm reassurance they don't need to have the answers they shouldn't even try to have them just remember if you can name it you can tame it focus on the emotion give it a name and that the emotion will settle in the child because they can see that you know what they're feeling and it's okay to feel that and now that it's okay to feel it they'll accept what they're feeling and all of a sudden it will dissipate or at least reduce uh if it's mentionable it's manageable so our goal as, as parents or as educators is not to have all the answers. It's to have the gentle reassurance that comes from saying, I see you, I hear you, I get that you're feeling nervous, anxious, worried, stressed, afraid, mad, sad, whatever it might be, and that's normal right now. A lot of people are feeling like that because it's a tricky time, isn't it? Yeah. We put our arm around them if physical contact is allowed, and if it's not, we smile at them reassuringly and say, I'm here for you. And that's really the end of it. Now, if they if they got more questions than that, then answer them to the best that you can. But don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Yeah. No, nobody really knows. We're just waiting and we're watching. But some people are feeling nervous and I'm here to help you to feel better. That's that's it. Yeah. yeah. And as you mentioned um, off air, it's quite an easy answer, but it's one of the hardest things to implement. Yeah, because we want to dive in and solve the problems of the world for these kids, right? But yeah. that's not what they need. They just they just need our understanding. Yeah, maybe that brings us back to that very start where the need for or the reaction for parents to be all of a sudden schooling their children. It's kind of like, all right, well, I'll fix this, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's not it. The, the first H that I talked about was they need to be heard, and that's that's really it. They just They just need to be heard. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Justin Colson. 
My final question for you is what are you most excited about coming up in the future? You know, I've actually given this a lot of thought because I've been talking with my own family about it quite a lot. Uh, we, our, our world has been turned upside down. As, as you know, I get paid to bring people together in large groups so that I can talk to them. Yeah. Uh, that, that livelihood isn't there. In spite of that, we have tremendous hope and optimism for the future. What I'm looking forward to is I'm, I'm seeing so much incredible development as people are recognizing what we're facing and coming up with new technologies, new ideas, new ways of learning, new ways of delivering, new ways of helping, new ways of lifting, new ways of being a positive force in the world. I think that the COVID-19 pandemic may end up being one of the most valuable things that could have ever happened in our world as we look at the changes that are going to occur as a result. Uh, some of them are going to be painful. Uh, growth requires pain. Yeah. But as we grow through this pain, I think that the world will actually be a better place at the end of it because of the pain that we're going through. The supreme reward of struggle yep. is strength. Yeah. Um, History shows us that, and that's what we've got to look forward to. Um, also, if you feel like you need more support, um, you've launched a page with your wife, Kylie, Bunker Down with Justin and Kylie. <laughs> yeah. We've got to share that. Yeah, we have. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for mentioning that. Um, just yet, uh, well, yeah, just, just uh, I, I'm not sure of the, the, the date that this is going to air, but, but um, just yesterday, in, in terms of our recording date, we launched this page. We just thought there's so many families that are self-isolating, so many families that are trying to work out how to homeschool their kids, so many families that are going, oh, what do we do now? So we've just launched a, a Facebook page that's sort of connected to the, the main Dr. Justin Coulson's Happy Families yeah. Facebook page. It's called Bunker Down with Justin and Kylie. And, and it's really just... Well, Kylie's running it more than me, but it's Kylie because Kylie's got an early childcare uh, background, and so Kylie is uh, she's doing story time. She's sharing tips and hints for what you can do to play with the kids and make play magical when you're tearing your hair out and you've just had enough of this child. Um, she's she's tear, she's sharing sorry not tearing she's sharing a whole bunch of ideas that can just help you to bunker down and do so safely and not go mad while you're self isolating or or just you know minimizing so minimizing your, your contact with others um so it's called bunker down with justin and kylie and um there's been a really really extraordinary response to that page. yeah it's been it's just overnight bang it's there um another <laughs> thing literally you've... overnight like two thousand people overnight. yeah right there yeah i logged on last night and i was like oh wow so many um another thing is that um you've got a webinar coming up as well uh, on Monday, the 30th of March, I'm going to be doing a webinar for free. Uh, again, I've, I've emphasized this already, but we really want to serve. We really want to be generous. We want to help as many people as we can. So on Monday night, the 30th, all the details are on my Facebook page, uh, a webinar to help us to adapt to the new reality. Uh, I'm just going to be sharing tips, hints, and ideas for how we can uh, help our families to adapt to everything that's going on and how we can, I, I guess, to, to underscore some of the things that we've talked about in this podcast to help yeah. parents to, to manage this challenging time a little better. Excellent. And I think instead of focusing on our schooling and making sure our children are schooling, let's focus on we could have the opportunity to school ourselves. And if you head oh, over like that. to <laughs> Justin's website, you've got the nine ways to a resilient child it's only it's it's not a really long read. It's really good. There's useful tips in there. Um, what your child needs from you, especially in this time, um, 
easy read, small book. You can do it between your routine with your children and it's going to give you these amazing skills um, to get through this challenging time for sure. Well, that'd be great. I hope that people find those useful and, uh, and thanks for sharing them. No problem at all. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you on behalf of my own family, Justin. Um, your content and um, your mission in supporting families has been a huge help to me and my daughter as she moves through her journey. She's five. Um, so it's been super helpful. So thank you so, so much. Well, that, yeah, that's really kind. Thank you, Lucas. And thanks for having me on the show today. I hope that uh, I hope it's been helpful for a lot of people. Definitely. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining me for another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. And that was the amazing Justin Coulson. Um, If you want to find his book so you can learn to school yourself in these challenging times, head over to um, Happy Families, Dr. Justin Coulson. And also all the books and references to content from the podcast will be in the show notes. We look forward for you to join us again soon. Thank you so much.